This morning we're on our third week in the life of Joseph, uh, and we're going to be looking at Genesis 38. So if you have your Bible um, or Bible app and you want to turn there and follow along, Genesis 38 is where we are going to be. This is, um, maybe this has never happened to you, maybe it probably has. Um, if you have been, have you ever been reading through the Bible and you come to a, a, a section or maybe like in this case a whole chapter and uh, you read the chapter and just all you're left with is wow, like what in the world is this about? Um, <laughs> I, I think it happens a lot, uh, especially in the Old Testament, like read it. My, my daughter Ivy and I, we share these passages when we run across them we text each other with them um, and laugh oftentimes uh, about things that we see in the bible now don't get me wrong i i love my bible i do it is a precious gift from god nonetheless sometimes i read a verse or a passage and i am just like god what in the world were you thinking um I, i'm saying all that because this is one of those times uh, chapter 38 is a holy cow what in the world is going on here. In fact, um, because of the age of some of the people in our congregation and here this morning uh, for the preaching, I'm not going to read these verses um, because it would just be too explicit and um, honestly it, too embarrassing for me to read these verses. That's how bad they are. Um, this is one of those passages where I have read it before and not had to preach it. And so, you know, sometimes you just read the Bible and um, I've read this before, and like I said earlier, just been like, God, I don't even know what to do with this. Um, but, but let me tell you, this week as I dug in to this, this chapter and studied it, um, I, it, it became exciting to me. And so I hope that I can communicate that with you. A couple of different things, like big picture things that we see from this passage this morning. One is, as we read it, um, I, I think that we should see uh, a really good picture of who we are. Um, humanity, I mean, who we are. We are a fallen, broken people, and we are capable of some terrible, terrible things. Uh, and that's true of all of us as broken humanity. Um, but uh, through the unfolding of this story in the book of Genesis, and really through, through history and through the Bible, th there's something a lot better than that, than that that we see, and that is who God is. And that's where I want us to land, because what we see of God from this passage and through the Bible is absolutely astounding. So, Genesis 38, um, that's where we'll be. I want to pray for us before we get started, and I ask every week um, when I am here, um, pray with me. I'm asking you to pray with me. One of the amazing uh, gifts that we have because of Jesus is prayer, um, and it is amazing that uh, he can hear every prayer that we utter right now, even if we're praying at the same time. He can hear all of those together, and he is capable of answering all of them. So I ask, would you pray with me? Yeah. Let's pray that the Holy Spirit would be especially good today to teach us um, and to help us to see, to see ourselves in the mirror of Scripture um, and to see how great and mighty and amazing our God is. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the beautiful songs that um, uh, together we we. we we have sung this morning. Thank you for those voices that just sound 
amazing as we come together. Uh, I thank you, Father, for even these difficult stories. Help us, help us to see in these difficult stories um, who you are. Help us to see today, Holy Spirit, open our eyes, open our heart, lead us, teach us, help us to see ourselves as we should in light of these verses. And, and Holy Spirit, help us to see how great and mighty our God is. Help us to have more confidence and more faith in who he is than we ever have before. We love you. Uh, Father, be honored and glorified in our time together. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here is what I'm going to do is we'll read a few of these verses, but honestly not very many, and I'm just going to walk through the story, and I'm going to try to do that in a mostly G-rated fashion um, as best I can. So uh, some of that will take some creativity, so just join me in the story. Um, but let's start with life, death, and deceit, uh, Judah and his sons. Chapter 38 moves us. Last week, uh, Pastor Dan preached from chapter 37, the story of Joseph being sold into slavery. Um, and now we move from Joseph's story to just a glimpse of the life of, of Judah, one of his brothers. Judah was the fourth-born son of Leah. Now, if you remember in our story, uh, Judah had two wives. He did not want to marry Leah, but was forced to. So Leah is the wife that he really did not love. Uh, Judah is the fourth son born to, uh, to Leah. So let me read these first six verses. That's about all that we can read this morning, but let's read those. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hirah. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her, and she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. Uh, yet again she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Chezib when she bore him. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. So um, those six verses, stopping right there, those six verses cover a, a large span of time. Uh, Judah has left his family. He has found a wife for himself who is a Canaanite um, and uh, had three sons. His sons are old enough to get married, and he has married his oldest son off. Now, I, I, I want to I pause here just to... To, to point something out to us, uh, Abraham and Sarah, going back in the, in the story of Genesis, Abraham and, and Sarah uh, sent for a wife for their son Isaac because they did not want Isaac marrying a Canaanite, someone from that area. Um, so they sent uh, for a distant relative who was far away uh, that their son could marry. Then Isaac, right, when Isaac grew up and he had sons and his sons were old enough to get married, Isaac was very, very unhappy when, when his son Esau married a Canaanite. Uh, this was from God and this was from the family. Um, they were so upset that they sent Jacob far away again to a distant relative to find a wife um, who was not a Canaanite. So don't marry into the Canaanites. 
Uh, Jacob would not have been happy here for his son to be marrying, for Judah to be marrying a Canaanite, and yet that is exactly what Judah has done. He, he married Shua, a Canaanite. He had three sons, and then when his son was, was old enough, he took the whole Canaanite thing a step further, and he found a wife for Ur, Tamar, who was apparently a Canaanite as well. So, so what we see, just, just to point out what may be obvious, is that Judah doesn't really care about the rules. Judah is out to do what Judah wants, and he's ignoring what God has said, and he's ignoring, in this case, um, what, what his family has said as well. Sin, disobedience, um, it, it's here. Uh, sin, disobedience, it's in chapter 37, where we talked about Judah uh, and, and what he did with his, uh, with his brother Joseph. So, um, the story gets worse. Verse 7 tells us that Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. And we don't know what Ur did, but I can't imagine how wicked his heart must have been for the Lord to put him to death. And I say that in light of the wickedness of the other people that we have seen in the book of Genesis and the wickedness that we will see in Judah. Already we've seen uh, in what he and his brothers did to, to Joseph. Um, Judah then told his second-born son that he needed to, f to fulfill his duties um, to his brother and, and that family by taking uh, Tamar to be his wife. So this was custom, this was the law, this is what you did. The reason is because Tamar would be cared for as a widow. So as a widow who had no, no children, um, she had no means really to provide for herself in that culture. And so this was a way of providing for her and taking care of her by the second son marrying her. It was also a way for, um, for Ur's family name to continue through the children that, that they would have together. You tracking with me? So this is what the second born was supposed to do. Now, I, I, I want to be creative here, and I encourage you, if you haven't read the story, read it, and then you'll know what I'm, what I'm really saying. Um, but Onan, uh, the second son, took Ur's wife, Tamar, as he was supposed to, and he enjoyed her but he did not follow through on the childbearing thing, right? He did not want his brother's offspring. This was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And what he did was wicked. This was wicked. And it was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And so it says that the Lord struck Onan dead also. So Judah had one last son, Shelah. Shelah was then supposed to take Tamar, again, just going down the line, as his wife. They would have a family. She would be taken care of, cared for. She would have a family. Her, her, uh, his brother's family name would carry on through their children. But verse 11 says that Judah feared that Shelah would also die, so he sent Tamar back to her family, telling her that when Shelah was old enough, when he had grown up, they would come for her, and then the marriage would take place. So she is sent back to her family. Now, here's what's really happening is more lies and more deceit. Judah had no intention of his youngest son marrying her. 
what Judah thought was that somehow she was a curse to the family and he would lose his youngest son like he's lost his other two sons. Judah doesn't see that his sons were evil in the sight of the Lord. Judah thinks that she was the problem and not them. So now he is, he is, he is disregarding custom. He is disregarding law. He is disregarding his daughter-in-law so that he can protect his youngest thing, son, his youngest son. Now, here's the thing with all of that. Tamar could have been released from the family. So the way this worked then was Tamar was bound to that family and to this last son. Even though they weren't married, she was bound to him and not free to marry anyone else. So so what this meant in that culture is she could do nothing. There was nothing that she could do. And, and, And if Judah continued down this road, then Tamar would be left on her own. She would have no way to care for herself. She would not be allowed to marry someone else and have a family and to be cared for. And and so what Judah is essentially doing is setting up a situation where where she is denied any opportunity for any sort of a, a, a future. Really, he's setting her up to die broken and all alone uncared for. Great guy, wasn't he? And I mean, this wasn't like, oh, I didn't know that was happening. Like Judah knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what all of this meant. He refused to release her. And in part, he refused to release her. Because what would happen if he released her from the family? He would be publicly shamed. Because that was the culture. He was supposed to take care of her. So rather than be publicly shamed, rather than possibly something happening to his son, he was willing to kick Tamar to the curb. Great guy. So here's what comes next. More deceit, more lies. Tamar decides that she is going to take care of things herself. So time passes. Tamar is still with her family. Uh, Shelah has grown up. But he has not come for her. Judah has not come for her. Um, And Judah's wife dies. Tamar knows Judah's wife uh, has died. She knows how old uh, Shelah is. And here she is all alone with her family. Tamar hears that Judah is going to be traveling her way um, with his friend going to the, the sheep shearers. So what Tamar does is dresses herself like a prostitute and she waits along the road that he is going to be traveling. Judah is drawn to her. And because she is veiled, um, he has no idea that it is Tamar, his daughter-in-law. Um, she does what prostitutes do. Uh, Tamar makes this transaction. That's really what it was, was a transaction. Um, a goat for some time with you. Now, isn't this a weird story? A goat for some time with you. But he says, I don't have the goat with me. And so I'm just going to have to make a pledge to you that I will bring the goat to you later. And so Tamar agrees, but she says, I need, I need a I need some evidence. I need a pledge. I need some collateral. Uh, Why don't you leave your seal, your family seal, leave your cord, and leave your staff with me until you can come back with the goat? Now, one of the commentaries that I read said this is the equivalent of leaving your driver's license and credit cards with someone. 
right? Because it was the way that you were identified. Your family seal was your family seal. No one else's was like it, and everyone knew your family seal. The same for the cord and the staff. So it would identify him. Judah goes in with her, and wouldn't you know it, Tamar conceives. Judah sends a goat back. He sends a goat back as promised through his uh, friend, Hurrah, only uh, of, of course, there's no prostitute to be found because there never was a prostitute, right? Hurrah reports to Judah, and Judah says, listen, let her keep those things. Just let her have them. Um, if we keep looking for her and asking questions, I'm just going to be a laughing stock. Everybody is going to laugh at me. So once again, Judah doesn't really care about her or anyone else. Judah is only concerned for Judah. Three months go by. Three months go by, and then word comes to Judah that his daughter-in-law is pregnant, and of course, she is not married. Word comes back, your daughter-in-law has been immoral. She has conceived this child in, in immorality. Judah's response to her, Judah throws the book at her, right? The law says that such a person can be burned. Judah says, by all means, bring her out and burn her. This is the legal penalty. Burn her alive. It's horrible. For her sin, Judah says, burn her. So they are bringing her out for, for this sentence to be carried out. She, in a, in a last-minute thing, sends someone to Judah. And the person she sends uh, comes with a message. And the message is, the man who owns these things did this to me. So, so this person comes to Judah quickly as they can. They come to Judah and say to Judah, listen, this thing that has happened, the man who did this to Tamar uh, is identified by these, a signet, a cord, and a staff, all of them pointing right back to Judah. What they're saying is, Judah, you did this. Judah, you, you are fixing to sentence your daughter-in-law to death for a sin that is yours. Verse 26 says, Then Judah identified them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son, Shelah. And he did not know her again. Tamar would give birth, um, verses 27 through 30, to twins. And it's really interesting, the birth of those twins, very much like Jacob and Esau's birth, the two twins fighting for who would be first. Zerah pushes a hand out, the midwife ties a red ribbon around it, marking him as the eldest, the firstborn, um, and, and then he draws it back, and it's Perez, the younger of the brothers, who was actually born first. And it ends up ultimately that Perez, the younger, receives the promise, the promise passed on from Abraham and the greater blessing as well. So, uh, let's go back, Tamar. Tamar, on the, on the one hand, we want to cheer for her. In fact, I was talking with someone after first service. In, in, in Judaism, she's a hero, a heroine, because she has fended for herself and she has brought about justice by what she did, right? And so some, some of us want to cheer for her because ultimately she got what, what she should have gotten. She got a husband, she got a family, she would be cared for, and in her culture and according to the laws, all of that was due her. So Tamar stood up for herself and got what was hers. But listen to me. 
The ends do not justify the means. She was a sinner who did not trust God. She was a sinner who took matters into her own hands. She lied and she deceived, just like Judah. She lied, she deceived, she took matters into her own hands, and her sexual sin was just that, sexual sin. So she is not a hero in the story. Judah, Judah certainly is not a hero in the story. Judah, the son of Jacob, what a horrible guy he was. Judah, um, the brother of Joseph. It, it, was, it was Judah in the story last week of Joseph. If you remember, um, Reuben stopped the brothers from killing Joseph. They wanted to kill Joseph because they hated him so much. Reuben stopped them from killing Joseph, and they threw him in a pit while they figured out what they were going to do with him. While he was in the pit, it was Judah who came up with the idea, hey, let's sell him into slavery. I mean, either way, if we kill him, we have to lie to our father and tell him that, um, that a bear got him. We can do the same thing and make money. We can sell him as a slave, tell our father that he was killed by a wild animal, and we can take the money for it. Again, great guy Judah was. Judah disregarded the wishes of his forefathers and moved to marry a Canaanite. Worse, as I, as I said already, uh, he, he sent his son Ur to be married to Tamar, another Canaanite. Ultimately, Judah would reject Tamar as his daughter-in-law. He would abandon her in a world where she could not take care of herself, in a world where she really had no rights, no one to provide for her. He would rather see her die than to care for her or give his youngest son or be shamed publicly. Then, right, then he rushes to condemn her immorality when he was a part of that immorality. Deceit, immorality, disobedience, destroying the life of his brother, seeking to destroy Tamar, using his brother and using his daughter-in-law only for his own good. No thought for them, only what they could do for him. It's easy for us to read this story, as I have before, and only see the depravity. I mean, I just told you the story, like, what a crazy story. It's easy to, to, to read that story and, and only see the depravity that is there, to see, to see the, the, the world and the people and think, why is this story here? It is repulsive. I mean, this is a repulsive story. This is, a, this, this is disgusting on so many levels. And, and then we can, we, can, we can read this story because of the way that Genesis is written. There, there's no comment made in here of the immorality. Right? We're, we're left to sort of figure that out on our own. There's, there's no comment made on the, on the brokenness and the sinfulness. And so we might walk away and, and wonder what kind of God condones this. What, what kind of God is this that would, that would sanction such such behavior. And so we walk away shaking, shaking our head, shaking our head at God, or maybe just not knowing what in the world we're supposed to do with this. And when we do that, we miss it. We miss it. We miss God. And what we really miss is the God who is. 
the God who is. Look again with me at verse 26. And listen, stick with me in this last part. I hope it all comes together. Verse 26. After this verse, every mention about Judah and Tamar in the Bible changes. Judah has just been confronted with his role, with his own sin. He has shown the signet, the cord, the staff. And verse 26 says, Then Judah identified them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son, Shelah. And he did not know her again. She is more righteous than I. She is more righteous than I. Now, I, I know that's not a lot there, but I believe, along with many others, a, a, as I have read, that this is a confession from Judah. Judah is confessing. N- not just a confession because he was caught, but a genuine confession of his own unrighteous life. I, I believe that's what Judah is doing. I, I think that Judah had come at that moment, right, when he is ready to have his daughter-in-law burned, at that moment, when he is ready to, to cast her aside, to have her killed, he, he comes face to face with his own brokenness, with his own depravity, with, with the depth of his own sinfulness. I believe what we have is a glimpse of Judah's actual repentance here. Uh, up until now, every mention of Judah at this point has been bad. It's been wicked. It's been evil. After this moment, after this moment, everything that you ever read again about Judah is good. Going through the Bible. After this, we'll see it in the story coming up. Judah is again with his father and his brothers. Whatever separation there had been as he left his family and took a Canaanite wife and and started hanging out with the Canaanite people, whatever was there is gone. When the story continues, Judah has come back home and he is with his, his brothers and his father. They are reunited. When we come to chapter 49, we see that that it is Judah above all the other brothers who is blessed by his, his father who is nearing death. He is blessed above all of his brothers, even Joseph. I want to read some of those verses. Chapter 49, verse 8. Again, um, uh, near death, these are the blessings of the father. And they are prophetic in, nat- in, in nature. Um, chapter 49, verse 8. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub from the prey. My son, you have grown up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the people's. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. The sons of of Jacob, from those sons of Jacob would come the 12 tribes of Israel. 
That's where the 12 tribes of Israel come, right here in, 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 in these sons growing up. Of those 12 sons, of those 12 tribes, Judah w- would not only be one of the tribes. Now, now think about just that, right? That, that Judah, this broken and sinful man who, who has done such repulsive things in his life, killing, wanting to kill his own brother, selling him into slavery, wanting to kill his daughter-in-law, uh, all that he has done, and still he is one of, becomes one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Even more than that, Judah was not just one of the 12 tribes of Israel. It was seen as probably the greatest of the 12 tribes of Israel. When the Hebrew people were set free from their bondage and, and, and headed into the promised land, when the land was divided up among those 12 tribes, Judah would occupy the largest piece of land from Israel. Jerusalem, the holy city, Jerusalem, the site of the temple, the place of worship for God's, God's people was located in Judah. It was Judah who, who would be the home for the temple, the home for sacrifice, the home for the worship of God. When a census was made of the people of Israel, Judah was the largest tribe in the nation. When the kingdom of Israel was divided into a northern and a southern kingdom, Judah, the southern kingdom, remained the most faithful kingdom to God. And they remained faithful to God longer than any of the other tribes. And there is, there is more, more to be seen of Judah. Uh, let me go back to, to chapter 49, verse 8. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hands shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. That became true. This was not just a, a blessing. It was a prophetic blessing that became true. Judah was looked up to by all of the other tribes. Judah was the tribe that was faithful and true. Judah was the strong tribe. They were the tribe that was always ready to defend Israel at all costs. Judah was the first to rush in to war against the enemies of God's people. Judah was a mighty, mighty tribe. Jacob also said in verse 9, Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Again, this wasn't just a, 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 a blessing. This was a, a, a prophecy of what was to come. It was about the strength of the tribe of Judah, but it was about far, far, far more than just the strength of the tribe of Judah. Ruth chapter 4, verse 18. Ruth chapter 4, verse 18. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez, the son of Judah and Tamar. These are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered that guy. That guy fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. Do you know the story of Boaz? What an incredible story. Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered who? David. David, the beloved king. David, a man after God's own heart. 
David who would receive the promise from God that, that his line would forever rule the kingdom of God's people. That was, that was the promise to David. David, you will forever have one of your ancestors ruling the kingdom of my people. Matthew 1, 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Let me read those words again, the prophetic blessing. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. From Judah would come Jesus. Jesus, the, 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 the king forever and ever and ever. Jesus, the, the, the fulfillment of God's promise to David. Jesus, the, the, the fulfillment of, of, of the scepter never passing from Judah. Jesus, the lion of Judah. All of that can be said of Tamar as well, right? Her, her name would come not, not any longer to be associated with curses and cursings, but, but blessings. From her would come the kinsman redeemer, Boaz. From her would come the beloved king of Israel, David. From her would come the savior of the world, Jesus. Now that is a story, isn't it? These broken, sinful people lead us to Jesus. But they are not the hero of this story. We need to see who the hero really is. It's not, it's not Tamar, and it's certainly not Judah. The real hero of the story is God. The real hero of the story is the God who is. The God who is a God of second chances. The God who is a God of second chances and third chances and maybe, maybe a million chances. That God is the hero of this story. The God, the God who forgives repentant sinners. The God who is, who is patient beyond measure. The God who is kind and who is loving and, and, and who is gracious. The God whose loving kindness is new every day. The God who is, is bigger than our failures and bigger than our sins and bigger than all of our failures and all of our sins put together. The God who is sovereign over all of that. The God who is able to work all things, all things together for good. All things good, all things bad, all things wicked, all things evil. Our sovereign God is able to do that. The God who is faithful and true to his promises, even when his people aren't, even when you aren't, even when I am not. The God who, who, who is with the brokenhearted Tamars. The God, who, the God who hears her cries, that's the hero of this story. The God who hears our cries, the God who loves us, hear me. The God who loves you. He doesn't just tolerate you. He doesn't wish that you were something else. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Like he loved them. 
that, that God is the hero of this story. When God's people wandered in the wilderness, right? We talked about this and, and, and why Moses wrote this story, this book. When the people of God wandered in the wilderness after their freedom from Egypt, Moses gave them this story. And I, I believe in part Moses gave them this story because they would need to see themselves. And they would need to see him. And looking, looking at Judah would be for them like looking in, in the mirror. And it should be for us, like looking in the mirror. They were, they were just as broken as Judah was broken. They were just as forgetful as Judah was forgetful. They were, they were just as selfish as Judah was selfish and prone to think of nothing but themselves. They were just as harsh and cruel and judgmental as Judah. Like Judah and Tamar, they would take matters into their own hands, not trusting the God who made them all of these incredible promises. They would, they would lie, they would deceive, and their immorality, believe it or not, would top the immorality that we just read about this morning. And in those times, they needed to know who their God was. And they needed to know that he was not finished course they didn't have as much of the story as we have now they didn't have the lion of king david and they didn't know jesus the lion of judah who would be king forever they only had the promises and the prophetic blessing of jacob but it was meant to be enough it was meant to be enough to give them hope in their god faith in who he is it was meant to show them the, the truth of their own brokenness, but to do so in the light of, of the beautiful faithfulness and grace, the love of their great God. Their great God who is faithful and true and forgiving and kind and merciful and loving. And their story would not be over just because of their sin and failure. God who is faithful and true would fulfill his promises. They would become a great nation. They would have a land. Their numbers would be like the sands on the seashore, and they continue to grow today. And from them, from them, all of the world would be blessed. From them, all of the world, all of the peoples of the world would be blessed. From them, from a broken son named Judah and a daughter-in-law named Tamar. Two quick things and then we'll wrap up. If you are here today as an unbeliever, I am glad you are here. This is the God who is pursuing you. And he is amazing. His love for you, his patience, his kindness, his mercy... We see all of that in the story of Judah. But we see it even more beautifully in the story of Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection. He is not only the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he is the lamb who takes away sin. 
in love the Father sent him. In love he came. He came to live the life that you and I have failed to live. He came to live the life of righteousness and holiness, the life of perfection that we have failed to live, the life that Judah failed to live. Jesus lived that life on our behalf. He died the death that we deserve, went to the cross bearing our sin, paying our penalty. The wages of sin is death, and Jesus paid that penalty on our behalf, suffering the wrath of God that should have been ours. And on the third day, on the third day because of his love, because he is gracious and kind and merciful, because his loving kindness is new every day, on the third day Jesus rose from death, defeating death and sin and Satan. And he did that on our behalf. And when we trust in him, when we believe in this work that he has done, rather than trying our own self-righteousness or hoping for the best, when we trust in the work of Jesus on our behalf, when we, when we believe, man, his righteousness is credited to us. We are forgiven. We are made whole and brought into a right relationship with God. Believe that good news today. Believe that good news today. Repent. Repent like Judah and believe the truth of the gospel. But believer, this message is for you as well. You listening to me? Because I know most of you would say you're a believer. Stop wondering if you have done enough for God to be pleased with you. Stop thinking that you have done too much for him to love you. Lord, I have incredible plans for your life. Stop wondering if it, is, if it is too late for God to use you. Too late for you to be a part of this incredible story. And if anything, we should see it is not. We should see his kindness, his kindness in this story. But, but more than that, his kindness to us. His kindness, his grace, his mercy, his love see that but believe that that applies to you that 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 no matter what your sins are no matter how many times that you have failed God doesn't look at you that way you're his son and he is pleased with you you are his daughter and he loves you dearly join him join him don't don't sit on the sidelines waiting and wondering join him serve give lead plant a missional community plant a church share the gospel he isn't finished with you he isn't finished with the story of your life any more than in that moment he was finished with the story of judah's life really a beautiful chapter isn't it let's pray father such grace is just hard to imagine such mercy and such love and yet that is the beauty of the gospel Thank you. Thank you that we are yours. 
you are ours. Thank you that we don't have to prove ourselves. Holy Spirit, help us believe. Help us to believe all that our God is. In Jesus' name, amen.